I had only been uh, converted a couple of weeks, and a friend of mine came by and picked me up, and he took me to a Bible study. And uh, he kind of kidnapped me. He didn't really tell me exactly what the deal was, but um, it's called Bible Study Fellowship. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Bible Study Fellowship. It's a tremendous Bible teaching ministry. It's international. Um, It started in the States. And where I'm from, Little Rock, Arkansas, we had a we had a group of 250 men on Monday nights. Uh, it's where I actually learned the Bible. Uh, I didn't learn the Bible in the church, sadly. The church I grew up in was somewhat, shall we say, liberal and nominal, to say the least. But I remember that first study was Genesis. The first study I was in at BSF, and I, by the way, I hardly recommend it. If you, if you repatriate or wherever you end up, if you can find a local chapter, they have men's, men's chapters, women's chapters, and young adult chapters. Uh, it's just tremendous, a tremendous way to study and learn the Bible. Um, but I remember the first study was Genesis, and I fell in love with the romance, if I can use that word, between Abraham and God. And I thought to myself, man, that's what I want with God. I want that. I want that kind of relationship with the Lord. And uh, I remember that uh, bumping into Genesis 15, 12, God recounts that he came to Abraham to sort of codify the covenant that he was going to make with his patriarch. And Genesis 15, 12 says this, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Now, Again, I grew up in a pretty weak church, and I, I, I didn't really understand why, why the, the terror and great darkness in the presence of God. I didn't understand it. I had not been, I'd been taught a one-dimensional God. You guys know what I'm talking about, some of you that maybe came up in weak churches. You're taught one dimension. God is love. Basta. You know, God is love. That's all there is. God is love. Well, if you open your Bible, you realize that God is infinitely more than that. And I couldn't understand, of course, with my limited knowledge at that point, why terror and great darkness in the presence of God? Why? So I was stumped early on in the study. I just didn't understand. But as we've seen in this series, um, it's not uncommon for men who catch a glimpse of Yahweh to hit their face as fast as they can. There is terror in the presence of holiness, perfect holiness for a fallen man. There is a kind of terror which is warranted. Uh, Again, this is a commentary on the holy otherness of God. We've seen this a couple of times. I'm going to read a couple of texts to you just to uh, highlight the point. Moses meeting God on Mount Sinai. I'm going to read from Exodus 19 and 20. You don't need to turn there. I'm just a couple of excerpts. Moses meeting with God on Mount Sinai. There were thunder and lightning flashes and thick and a thick cloud and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Okay, we've lost this concept of God in the modern church. Most people who walk into the church these days, they have no concept that they need to learn how to tremble before Yahweh. There's just this, this concept has been lost. But again, a superficial read of the Bible, you see it over and over and over again. So the people in the camp, they trembled. Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. And the mountains quaked violently. Okay, this is God. 
This is your God. This is your creator. Mountains melt like wax. What is that? Psalm something. 99, I think. Moses spoke and God answered with thunder. And when the people saw it, they, what did they do? They trembled and said to Moses, you speak to him yourself, but let not God speak to us lest we die. How many of you have any concept like this of the holiness of your creator? I know we've all been dumbed down. Um, it's like churches are built now just to attract crowds and, and build fellowship and have a good time. Um, I think this offends God greatly. I think God means for his people to understand exactly who he is. And again, if you read the Bible, there's, he's, not, he's not apologizing here. <laughs> when, when, when he reveals himself to man... Um, there is fear. There is trembling. There's a parallel, parallel account here of this Sinai meeting over in Hebrews 12. Let me just read a couple of excerpts from Hebrews 12. As God came down, there was a blazing fire and darkness and gloom. Gloom? And whirlwind. And the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard it begged that no further word should be spoken to them. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. What I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to give to you is a full orbed concept of who God is. I mean, obviously in this life, um, we will never actually arrive there. And even in, for after a billion eternities, we'll, we'll still know just a little bit about him. There'll be an infinite. There's always going to be an infinite amount more to be learned about him. But listen, let's not be casual and cavalier about Yahweh. OK. Um, let's understand who he says he is. And let's not, as I've said a couple times, let's not look away. A lot of churches and a lot of professed Christians look away from these kinds of texts. They look away. Thereby, they don't even begin to understand the infinite condescension of Jesus on the cross. They don't understand how offensive their sin is to God. These are important things for us to learn. So I was confused. You know, I hit Genesis 15, 12. I was a babe in the woods. I didn't know anything truly about God. Again, my, my home church that I grew up in had taught me a one-dimensional God. Always love, only love. Always love, only love. Why is there fear and trembling and darkness and gloom when God comes down? Why is the mountain quaking? Why are they melting like wax? I'd never been taught this God. No one ever taught me about this God. But God is not shy to tell us who He is. Nobody in the church I grew up in, feared God. Nobody. Nobody feared God. We had him in our hip pocket. We did the formula. We're good little Baptists. And we did this and we did that. And we know God's pleased because I put on my best suit and here I am. And I'm going to throw a dollar in the offering plate. How could God not be pleased? The church is in a very weak place. I'm just going to say this. I don't, I don't know about where you come from, but I, I can tell you where I come from. The church is in a very weak place. Read your Bible. God is not one dimensional. He is awesome. He is fearsome. He is dreadful. He is frightening.
We're supposed to know this. We're supposed to understand this. This is why Jesus is on the cross. Because these things are true about our God who is, I'll say it again, holy other. Yahweh provokes these emotions in the heart of fallen man. Even in his veiled glory. Even in his veiled glory. It's the temporal being confronted with the supernatural. So naturally, naturally, there is fear. I think I shared this with you a few weeks ago. Uh, it's an R.C. Sproul quote, famous American theologian. The greatest trauma of mankind is to come into the presence of the living God. Apart from a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Isaiah 2.10 tells us that in the presence of Yahweh, man is instinctively inclined to hide, quote, from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty, unquote. Again, you, you, beloved, we need to cultivate this aspect and this view of God in our, in our minds and in our hearts, or we will end up, again, with a one-dimensional God, a pseudo-God, a sub-biblical God, um, yeah, this is a tragedy in much of the modern church. So back to Abraham, his encounter with God in Genesis 15. The Lord promised Abraham a son, and he promised him a land for his descendants. And the Lord also foretold of Israel's enslavement for 400 years. You heard me read the text. And then God said something that's very important for all of us to understand with respect to how he judges rebellious mankind. He said this about the Amorites. God was going to use, as you know, Israel to judge the Amorites. Just as he used them a few weeks ago, we talked about judging the Egyptians. God said this, it's going to be 400 years before you return to the promised land because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet complete. Genesis 15, 16. What is God saying? The Amorites are judged. They'll be walking around and doing their daily activities and going to work and raising kids and doing what they want for another 400 years, but it's over. It's over for them. Judgment has been set. It's over. Nothing can change. God, it's Romans 1, God has given them over to their lust uh, and degrading passions, Romans 1. It's over. He's already judged them. It cannot not happen. It will happen. It's a Romans 1 uh, judicial decree. It's over for the Amorites. They don't know it yet. And this is one of the most fearful things about the way God talks about judgment in the Bible. Cultures don't know they're under judgment for hundreds of years before judgment finally culminates. This is what he's saying. It's already over for the Amorites. It's already over. We need to understand this is God's prerogative. God can, God can judge at any moment in time. And he does. He tells us in his word that he does. This would make any thinking man somewhat sober before Yahweh. It's just like what we saw with Pharaoh 
Pharaoh hardened his heart, but God hardened his heart. God said, I will do it. I will harden his heart. I've raised you up for this very purpose to crush you and your nation. That all the world will know that I am God. Again, a lot of proper churchgoers turn away from this kind of talk. They don't like this kind of talk. But God is more than happy to present himself in this light. So the Amorites, I won't go into all the details. You know the story, most likely. They were engaged in comprehensive debauchery. It was perfect rebellion. Perfect rebellion in every aspect of their lives, particularly sexual. God just gives us a list. And you can read it for yourself. We saw this two weeks ago. Again, the Romans won prerogative of God to judge a people in his perfect timing. The, the, the inhabitants of Canaan, they weren't cognizant that their sins were being tallied and logged. They didn't think about this. But God doesn't forget one sin. One sin is heinous to God. One sin, as we saw a month or so ago, brought down the cosmos. One sin. Every sin is being logged. The, the sin of the Canaanites. They didn't know the precise moment that they would commit their last act of rebellion, but God did. God knew that last sin. He knew when it was coming. And His judgment was coming in perfect timing to eliminate and destroy the Canaanites. The die was cast. It was over for the Canaanites. God was bringing Israel at just the right time to judge these rebellious people who sin before God with a high hand. Doesn't the culture drive you crazy? This sinning before God with a high hand. It's always Romans 3. It's always Romans 3. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And it's almost true in the church. It's almost true universally in the church today. And I'm not talking about the, I'm not talking about Catholicism. I'm not talking about Eastern Orthodoxy. These things are obviously not biblical representations of Christianity. I'm talking about so-called evangelicalism where much of evangelicalism is apostate now, right? We can't talk about the, the, the full-orbed view of God anymore. We can't talk about it. Because we're more, we're, 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 yeah, we're more uh, interested in having a full church. We don't want to offend anyone. We don't want anyone to, to feel bad. We don't want anyone to feel like they might get judged by their creator. We don't want anybody to feel that way. So we preach half the truth, right? And then people, I, I had a woman one time, we were teaching about, the attributes of God, and she did not understand why Jesus had to bleed out. If you've been in this series, you understand why Jesus had to bleed out. Because your sin and my sin is heinous before God. He hates it. He says it multiple times. I hate it. I hate it, he says. It's a great offense to God. And we, Again, we've lost this concept in the modern church. By and large, we have. Maybe you're fortunate. Maybe you came through a strong church. Maybe you did. Maybe you've been taught about these things. Two weeks ago, we saw God crush Egypt. There were many wonders and much wrath. Deuteronomy 4, 33 to 35. Moses recaps it. Let me just read it to you. Follow along with me. 
Since the day that God created man on the earth, has anything ever been done like this? This great thing. Has it ever been heard of? Has any people heard the voice of God speaking in the midst of a fire? Or has God uh, tried to go and take for himself a nation from within other nations by trial, by signs and wonders and war and a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm and by great terrors as the Lord your God did in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might listen. We've seen this over and over and over again. This was shown to you that you might know that the Lord, he is God and there is no God beside him. Again, many so-called preachers are in fact ashamed of God's signs, his wonders, his war, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm and his great terrors. You can't, the FBI cannot find this in the church, you know, Anywhere, almost anymore. You know, God has gotten, he's been demoted to the, to the place of utility, right? It's uh, the utilitarian view of God. How can God make my life better? That's really how I think about God. How can God make my life better? How can I use God? He'll be like a new computer. I can get utility from God. Hey, if this is your view, you got huge problems. Your major concern doesn't, need to be how you can get utility from God. Your major concern needs to be that he's holy and you're not. Same as with me, right? Same with me. I am doing this that men will know I am God. This is why I'm doing this. Men will know that I am God. Again, you have to ask yourself, why is this not preached regularly in the evangelical church? In coming to Canaan, God tells Israel that they shall, here it is, Deuteronomy 7, 2, they shall what? Utterly destroy the Canaanites. God never does anything halfway. He will utterly destroy the peoples of Canaan. Regarding the cities of Canaan, God says this, Deuteronomy 20, 16. You shall not leave anything that breathes alive. Okay, I'm challenging you. Don't turn away here. <laughs> Don't turn away. God means for you to not turn away. He's going to destroy the Canaanites. He's been long-suffering. He gave them 400 years, right? He's been long-suffering. Very long-suffering. As we've been seeing in this series and as David writes in Psalm 21, 9, regarding those in rebellion against God, the Lord will swallow them up in his wrath. You say, Jim, I'm just about tired of hearing this. I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to apologize if you're tired of hearing it. What I'm, what I'm attempting to do is love you the best way I can because I'm going to hold up Yahweh. Some of you... Uh, you know, as the, old, as the old saying says, you have to worship or flee, man. If you got to flee, flee. If you're not willing to worship Yahweh, flee. You don't need to come here. <laughs> we're going to worship God. If we're down to me and Karen, we're going to worship God, right? That's what we do. I'm not going to waste your time. Your time's too valuable. Mine is too. I'm not going to stand up here and, and pat you on the head. Uh, and I'm not going to put God on a leash. I'm not going to do it. Life's way too short and eternity is way too 
long. So as you know, during the Exodus, God was teaching Israel. And he told them that, listen to this list of blessings. He said, man, if you stay faithful to me, he says, there will be abundance and protection and security and victory and peace and provision and multiplication, not to mention the fact that I will walk among you. This is Leviticus 26, 1 through 12. But then God warned them like this. That if they did not obey him, this is Leviticus 26, 16 to 30. God says, I will in turn do this to you. I will appoint over you a sudden terror, consumption and fever. Also, you shall sow your seed uselessly and I will set my face against you so that you shall be struck down before your enemies and your, learn, uh, your land shall not yield its produce. If then you act in hostility against me, then I will act in hostility against you. I will bring a sword upon you, which will execute vengeance. I will send a pestilence. Yet if in spite of this you do not obey me, but act with hostility against me, then I will act with wrathful hostility against you. When was the last time you heard this preached? Beloved, you need to learn how to tremble. before this great God and then tremble in delight as I prayed earlier that we have been saved by this great God at such an amazing cost to God. The cost of His Son. If you don't understand these truths, if you don't understand these truths, you have no deep understanding of the cross. You simply don't really know why Jesus is up there and what his blood means for you. What is the beginning of wisdom? You tell me. I know you guys are smart. What's the beginning of wisdom? Tell me. Have you ever truly feared God? Or have you been raised up in such a way that you never really did? You never really feared God. Not really. I know I'm supposed to say it. I know what the Bible says. But I've never feared him. I can sin with a high hand because I have grace. Let's sin all the more. I'm telling you, I know I wasn't raised uniquely. I was raised in a weak church. And this was, this was the ambiance, shall we say. This was the ambiance of it. I can sin with a high hand. I have grace. I'll just pray and ask for forgiveness. Listen, you think he can play games with Yahweh? Beloved, it does not work like that. So here's the thing. After the text I just read, this is not a hard decision, right? Obedience or disobedience? This is the same decision you have. Obedience or disobedience? Which one? Which one? How hard is this? Obedience or disobedience to a God like this? He told the Jews, I'm going to bless you till your socks come off if you uh, stay faithful to me, right? So how hard is this? Do you want blessing or not? <laughs> Do we want blessing or not? Next week, we'll see that Israel chose to act in hostility against God repeatedly. You guys are familiar with the prophets. We'll take a quick look at that next Week. So why decide against an omnipotent God, a holy God, a benevolent God, a wrathful God, and a sovereign God? Why would any thinking person 
rebel against that God. It clearly reveals we are not thinking people if we have no fear of our Creator. So, inexplicably, you know the story. After seeing God deliver them in the most miraculous ways, the Exodus Hebrews decide they need to worship a golden calf. This, this is beyond comprehension. This sequence of events is beyond comprehension. But you know what it highlights? <laughs> How prone we all are to sin. Listen, they had heard God speak. They had seen his miracles. And then they decided, well, let's play religion. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's really tough to believe. But it's always Romans 3, right? As I've already quoted, there was no fear of God before their eyes, but also Romans 3, there were none who sought for God. None who really sought for God. Uh, we've talked a little bit about that, and I won't develop it any further. The Exodus tells us that with respect to this golden calf problem, God and Moses, both, both of them, their anger burned at this sin. Moses said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me, Exodus 32, 26. The Levites responded. They moved through the camp, killing all who persisted in the rebellion. And the text says that 3,000 fell. Now later, in the Exodus, Israel is poised to cross the Jordan and oh, guess what? They decide what they really need to do is play the harlot with a local idol. This is what they've decided would be a good idea. Numbers 25, 3 through 4 tells us the Lord was angry against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight so that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. In addition to the commanded execution, the Lord sent a plague and 24,000 more died. Say, Jim. I'm kind of getting tired of hearing this. Well, okay, there's going to be one more sermon like this. And then we're just going to hear Jesus talk about it. Okay? We're going to move into the Gospels. We're going to hear Jesus talk about it. Then we're going to hear Jesus talk about it in the end times, in the book of Revelation. And then we're going to get to the cross. God willing, all I'm trying to do is give you some deep appreciation for the cross that you will never take it for granted again. Because you and I both deserve everything that's happening on the pages here. We deserve it all. God should have landed on me a long time ago in the fullness of his wrath. And I suspect you would admit the same thing to be true about yourself. So what's the takeaway here, as well as from the rest of the series that we've been in? You don't get to play fast and loose with I am. You don't get to play religion with I am. And here's the truth of the matter, right? You know. You know if you're playing a game. I can't see it. I've baptized people up here. They're, you know, months later they just, they just leave. And it breaks your heart. But I can't see your heart. God sees your heart. You know if it's real. You know if there's something real going on. But you don't get to play fast and loose with I am. And you don't get to play religion in apostate denominations. 
So when you leave here, and all of you will at some point, maybe not Elaney, but she'll get tired of me, my preaching at some point. You know, you better be careful. God is paying attention to what kind of church you go to. He pays attention. It's important to him what kind of church you attend. He's not impressed if you go to some church who is ashamed of who he is and will not preach the fullness of his attributes and character. It's better not to go than to go to a crummy church. Okay? I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. Don't play religion. Don't play religion. Hebrews 10.31, it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And men and women who play religion with God will fall into his hands. To play religion is kind of like Russian roulette, right? Um, at some point, you lose. At some point, your wages come. And we know what that is. So as Israel begins its conquest of Canaan, Numbers 25, 17, God told Moses, be hostile to the Midianites and strike them. In the action, Israel killed every Midianite male, but they spared the women and children. Now, I already know some of you are going to hate this text. So just, you know, bow up, be a man, be a woman. This is biblical. Numbers 31, chapter 31, we read, And Moses was angry, and he said to them, Have you spared all the women? Now therefore kill every male among the little ones, and kill every woman who has known man intimately, but all the girls who have not known man intimately, spare for yourself. Now I know some of you are offended. I know we have a small group, but I'm just guessing there's one or more of you that's offended at this. One or more of you want to critique God for taking out the women and taking out the children. Some of you don't like this. But can I say to you, this is God's prerogative. I'm going to read a text to you later in the notes. He says, I give life and I kill. I take it. I give and I kill. He's the judge of the cosmos. He does whatever he pleases. Tremble. Worship. You know, <laughs> be thankful for the cross like you never had before. This is the God we will stand before if we don't stand in the, the shed blood of Christ. A God who, whose holiness demands there be no mercy on judgment day. His holiness demands this. So, yeah, I know some of you. Probably not many in this small group. Um, don't like the sound of it. But God doesn't really care if you like it or not. And I, I know you don't want to hear that either. But God doesn't run his universe to please you and to please me. The sooner we get this thought out of our head, the better, right? Right? the better. The sooner we get this kind of thinking out of our minds, the better off we will be. This is his universe. He runs it the way he pleases. He's not looking for my approval. You guys know Romans 9 and Isaiah 45. I just want to, the prophet and the, the apostle here, they, they get this right. Paul says, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? 
Will the thing molded answer back to the molder? Isaiah says, will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Will you? Will you be that arrogant to ask God, what's he doing? I pray for you if you still think you can question and critique God. This is a dangerous position to be in, beloved. I hope that you know that, as I said to you before in this series, God does not put the life of man, woman, boy, and girl above his purposes, his law, and his glory. God is unapologetic when he calls for full vengeance. He is unapologetic. How arrogant that many professed Christians actually seek to critique God um, but the true Christian, we understand, sometimes we must tremble. And we are willing to tremble before this holy God who is willing to demonstrate, Romans 9, 22, how terrible his wrath is. He's willing to do it. That's the word, Romans 9, 22. He's willing to do it. And I'm going to remind you of this. I've already said this to you in this series. When you find yourself recalling at God's ways in judgment, you have to remember two simple things. He is always right and you are always wrong. So I'm going to go through some scripture here pretty quick. Before Moses died, they took out a couple of kings on the eastern side of the Jordan. Here's what it says. Moses writes, we captured uh, all King uh, Sihon's cities and utterly destroyed the men, women and children. Okay. It's God's word. Don't like it. If you don't want to like it, I exhort you to receive it and understand the kind of holiness that demands it. I'll continue. Moses said, we left no survivor. So the Lord our God delivered Og, also king of Basham, with all his people into our hand, and we smote them until no survivor was left. This was Deuteronomy chapters 2 and 3. Listen, if you want my notes on all this stuff, I'll just be happy to email them, and you'll have them at your, at your disposal. After Moses died, Joshua takes over. First city is Jericho, right? Jer uh, Joshua writes that Israel utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Joshua 6, 21. Then God said to Joshua, and you shall do to I and its king just as you did to Jericho. So Israel, Israel attacked I, Joshua writes, and all who fell that day, both men and women were 12,000. All the people of Ai, all the inhabitants of Ai were utterly destroyed. That's Joshua chapter 8. Now I'm going to give you just a real quick machine gun kind of approach to Joshua chapter 10 where they uh, complete the conquest of the Amorites, okay? Verse 10, the Lord confounded the Amorites and slew them with a great slaughter. This is Joshua chapter 10, verse Verse I said there was verse 10. Verse 20, and Israel slayed them with a great slaughter. Verse 26, and Joshua put the Amorite kings to death. Verse 28, and the city of Machadah was utterly destroyed and every person in it. Verse 30, the city of Libna was struck with the edge of the sword. There were no survivors. Verse 32, every person in the city of Lachish was struck by the edge of the sword. Verse 33, Horam, king of Gezer, uh, came against Israel. There were no survivors. Verse 35, every person in the city of 
Eklan was struck with the edge of the sword. Verse 37, there were no survivors in the city of Hebron. Verse 39, the city of Debar or Debir was utterly destroyed. There were no survivors. Regarding this region of Canaan, the text tells us that Joshua, Joshua 10, 40, struck all the land. He left no survivor, but he utterly destroyed all who breathed, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Then the northern kings came out to fight against Israel, Joshua chapter 11, and God told Joshua, don't be afraid, I will give them into your hand. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, and there were no survivors. Then Joshua captured all the cities of the northern kings and struck every person with the sword, utterly destroying them. There, were, there was no one left who breathed. Joshua 11, 11. Listen, I watched, I've shared this with you. I watched some of these guys, these agnostics and atheists lecture on, uh, at universities and stuff. And this is always a big deal, the conquest of Canaan. It's always, it always comes up. God engages in genocide. Well, I don't want to have to stand before God making that kind of accusation against him, right? These people, these people are utterly arrogant and ignorant. There is no fear of God before their eyes. God can do whatever he wants with what he has created. He's the potter. Again, he's not seeking your approval. He's not. So we come to the end of Joshua chapter 11. God's judgment of the peoples of Canaan is complete. God had hardened their hearts in judgment for their sin. Listen to Joshua eleven twenty. It was of the Lord to harden their hearts to meet Israel in battle in order that he might utterly destroy them and they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them. As we've been seeing, when God determines to judge, He is proficient, systematic, and exhaustive. He keeps His promises. He keeps His promise of blessing, and He keeps His promise of judgment. God keeps His promises. He keeps His promises. You know the great text, Isaiah 55, 11. My word which goes forth from my mouth shall not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire. Right? And then that great text over in Daniel 4.35. No one can ward off the outstretched arms of Yahweh. So he's faithful in blessing. Joshua 21, verses 43 and 45. The Lord gave Israel all the land that he had sworn to give to them. They possessed it. They lived in it. Not one good promise which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. He's faithful in blessing. He's faithful in judgment. Joshua speaking prophetically told Israel that they would not be able to serve the Lord for he is holy. And he is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake him and serve foreign gods. He will turn and do harm to you and consume you after he had done good to you. Joshua 24, 19 to 20. So we will see next week, for those of you <laughs> who uh, would love to come and join us, we will see God's faithfulness concerning these promises of judgment as Israel turns away from this great God as they run after idols. And as, as we know, we've said, this is spiritual harlotry, right? This is adultery, spiritual adultery. God will judge them. And let me just say this about the word jealousy. You know, I get this thing sometimes. People want to 
throw off on God because his word actually says he's jealous. Um, some of you may, if you know who Oprah Winfrey is, she's a, a well-known television personality in the U.S. Actually, there's a clip out on YouTube of her saying, well, when I first heard that God was jealous, I knew that this was wrong. The, the biblical revelation had to be wrong. God can't be like that. Um, well, we know what a grave error that is. So it's important to understand what the word jealous means. Now, when it's used in relation to men, it is almost always sinful, right? Here's how it's used. Being envious of someone or something we do not have, Galatians 5.20. So in relation to men, it's almost always sinful. There's a sense in which a man can be jealous for his wife, right? In a proper way. In relation to God, it is used in the sense that God is jealous when someone gives to another something that only belongs to him. What is that only belongs to him? Your heart. Your love, your affections. If you, have, if you have some affection over and above your creator, this is the supreme essence of evil. This is maximum evil. If you love something, you desire something, you pursue something, more than you pursue your creator, God has a simple word for it. What is it? You know what it is. It's idolatry. So this is how the word is used in connection with God. In closing, <clears throat> when I was just a recently converted young man back in the, yeah, okay, 1980s. Yeah, I know. It's been a while. I heard a guy in our church, respected guy. He said, uh, he said, well, my God would never command the killing of women and children. Now, I was taken aback. I mean, I was a young Christian, you know, and I'd started to read the Bible, and I thought, well, wait a minute. Um, this guy's supposed to know what he's talking about, which he obviously doesn't. Um, and I was a little bit, I was shocked and somewhat baffled by this. Um, for I knew what the Bible clearly taught. Um, let me just read Deuteronomy 32, 39 to you. This is the, the verse I, I referenced earlier that I didn't have at my fingertips. God says this, see now that I am God. There is no God beside me. It is I, pardon me, it is I who put to death and give life. I would, I wound, pardon me, and I heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. You know what? The biggest favor I can do for you, for your brief sojourn here at ICM, is to get God so huge in your eyes and in your heart and in your mind and in your soul that you understand why Isaiah hit his face. You understand why he hit his face. You know, we don't get to see, we don't get to see the vision of God like I, but we understand why he hit his face. We understand it. We get it. You know, this makes me treasure Christ. It makes me give myself away to Christ because he gave himself away for me. If he doesn't do it, I go to hell forever. And we think it's like a small thing. It's some small church thing that I learned when I was a kid. Beloved, beloved, this is a big deal with God. This is a big deal with God. Why do you think he gives so much ink to this? Why do you think he just keeps saying it? 
It matters to him how you see him and how you worship him and how you treasure his son who redeemed you from the heinous consequences of your rebellion. You know, I don't like this term fallen man. I don't like it. It's like it's an accident. It is not an accident. We didn't fall down. We rebelled. And every time you sin, it's an act of direct rebellion against God. And ultimately, judgment comes. We've seen it in the text. Today, God is faithful. God is faithful. So, I lovingly warn you, if you're this guy, my God doesn't kill women and children. My God would never do this. If you're this guy, I lovingly warn you, you've got a huge problem. You have just become a Bible denier. You've basically, you're basically in a backhanded way saying, I don't think God is God enough to reveal his word and preserve it for me. He's some kind of pathetic God. This, this is some polluted revelation. Man got in here and put some stuff in here that God would never do. You've just blasphemed him again. <laughs> Listen, I know, I know this series may kill the church. I, I, I get it, okay? But you know what? If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down preaching this, right? I'm going down preaching this. I'm going to preach the glory of a holy God and let you deal with it. And if you hate it, you hate it. But if you know Christ, you love it. I'm reconciled to the holy God. I'm reconciled to the holy God. And I'll delight in him forever. You know, if I'm going down, this is how I'm going to go down. So, maybe I should just end there. I pray that you're receiving these truths and that you're thinking deeply about them. This is the God who is. There may be one or more of you who has a cartoon God in your head. This is the God who is. This is the biblical God. You decide if you will worship or flee. You know, you can go to another church where they'll stroke you and pet you and tickle your ears. But you know, I'll say it again. <laughs> Life's too short. You're an adult. So am I. If you don't want to talk like adults, don't come here. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. We're going to respect the Lord God and one another in this regard. So let's pray together.